Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, but this week I'm going to do something very slightly different and I have got someone to talk to us about a subject that's quite close to my heart and that is narcissism. And she is going to be speaking about her experience of being in a relationship with someone with narcissistic personality disorder or NPD. As teachers, we obviously have a duty to impart knowledge and prepare students for exams. But also we all have a pastoral role where we will be dealing with children in all sorts of situations. Something that is becoming more prevalent is narcissism and abusive relationships with somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. For some of us, this is not something we know very much about or how to tackle. So I really hope this conversation gives you an idea of what it's like to be in a relationship with a narcissist, how it feels and how you can exit that relationship. So I really hope this is a helpful conversation for you. Obviously, we're going to be dealing with something that might be triggering for some of you. So it's very likely that people listening have experienced this too. So just a warning that some of what we talk about may be triggering. So what is your understanding of a narcissist? My understanding of a narcissist is actually quite a varied thing. The term is used a lot these days. So from my point of view and the research that I've done, a narcissist is somebody who has a personality disorder known as NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder. I said just now that it's used a lot. It is. I also have an awareness that people, human beings, we all actually have narcissistic traits So it's around, for me, it's about separating out the two areas because it's quite an important thing when it comes to dealing with narcissistic abuse. And how would you describe your experience of a narcissist? An interesting one. (laughs) Uh, So my most recent experience really is the relationship that I was in for a couple of years. So I had a narcissistic partner who, looking back now, I am pretty positive had narcissistic personality disorder. I've encountered other people, even family members, who've definitely got a lot of narcissistic traits and they vary from being quite strong to low to medium, depending on how it's classified. But my most profound, most recent one would have been with my ex-partner. My experience of a narcissist is that you don't know that you're having that experience for a long time. And I assume for many people, probably never, because it will depend on their own lives and their own, I suppose, whether or not they've experienced abuse in their life, for example, or if this has just come up, because actually a narcissist can target anybody. They could be someone that may have experienced abuse in their lives or may not have. It really, really varies. Anyone can kind of get hooked in initially, I think. But my experience is, in the most simple terms I can put it, is that I was hooked into a person who was a narcissist, is a narcissist, and The first six months were amazing. That's how they hook you in. They do something called love bombing, which is constantly sending you messages and telling you how amazing you are. And they get to know you really well so that they can understand all your weaknesses, basically. And then the following 18 months of the relationship, I was mostly just miserable. But one of the things I have noticed or have have realized is that they hook you in to the point where you think they're this perfect person for you. So any treatment that then follows, you don't realise really what's going on. You don't understand what's happening. So as an example, my ex triangulated, and I'll explain that in a second, me with his previous ex. Now, at the time, I had no idea that he was still actually seeing her. I thought I was in a monogamous relationship. I wasn't at all by any stretch of the imagination. But triangulate basically means that 
So it's a triangle is has three points, obviously. So there's him at the top and then us two at the bottom. And so it's a method of control and a way to make you feel insecure about the other person and whether or not that person is a threat to your actual relationship. So the way that most seem to do it from the research that I've done, especially when it's an ex, and you yourself, so I thought this person was an ex, but was a very difficult person to deal with and maybe had their own personality disorders. And so they're always kind of there on the periphery of your relationship. It's almost like being in a relationship with two other people as opposed to just the one. So for the following 18 months after that, me thinking that this person was the right person for me, it didn't matter what happened. He framed everything else around his own mental health issues, which meant that I thought he was just trying to deal and do the right thing and do his best. But actually, he wasn't. He was cheating on me the entire time. So that's a small example of the experience. You talked about the beginning of that relationship, the technique of love bombing, of just bombarding you with really positive, affirming sort of messages all the time. What else was it that attracted you? What other positives about that person was there that attracted you to him? So I'd not long come out of quite a long term relationship when I met him. And I had spent some time trying to understand why that relationship hadn't worked and what it was that I needed for myself in my next relationship. And I wasn't necessarily in a hurry to find that next relationship, but I was trying to work out and understand myself better. So one of the things that I knew that I needed was somebody who had the ability to play. And so this person then came into my life and immediately they appeared to be everything that my ex hadn't been not taking themselves too seriously, having the ability to play, being quite cuddly and affectionate, but very naturally. So in my mind, they were everything that my ex wasn't. So that was one of the first things that attracted me to them. They appeared to resonate with my belief system, which is by and large one of equality as much as possible. And he put out there to me that he was also that kind of person as well. And interestingly enough, of course, I found out later from his other ex, (laughs) that he's not really like that at all. Um, And he's got all sorts of discriminatory behaviour across a variety of isms, if you like. But I genuinely thought he was everything that I had been looking for and hadn't realised I was looking for as well. And was there a catalyst for doubt creeping in? So obviously, at the beginning, it felt like the perfect relationship. By the end, it wasn't. Was there a point or a catalyst for that changing? Yes and no. It's a bit difficult to find one thing, really. I would say it was a couple of different things. Some of it would be the influence of a friend who is well-versed in narcissism. And unbeknownst to me, she suspected from quite early on that he was a narcissist, but obviously had to hold herself down in telling me that because I would never have listened. And she didn't want to be a friend that I didn't confide in anymore. So she had to really balance the things that she was saying to me in order for me to have my needs met but also not directly tell me what she thought he was, because that's obviously a real fine line for a friend to walk. So the first sort of doubt that started creeping in was around how much energy he seemed to be giving to his ex. That was an issue. And it seemed like he was giving a lot of energy to something that wasn't there anymore, because of the fact that they had a child together. Now, obviously, that is a big thing. But of course, the way he spoke to me about her was that obviously she had all these problems in inverted commas and that he had to just be really careful with how he dealt with it. But I guess what I started to feel was that he just wasn't doing what he needed to do. He wasn't taking action. He was just talking a lot. So that was one of the things that started to bother me. But again, as I said before, as far as I was concerned, he was the perfect person for me. So I knew that in my heart, it was like, oh, no, he'll get through it. He just needs my help and support. And the other thing, going back to my friend, is that, you know, she would say all these little things. And it was one thing that she said in particular, which was she described a low level misery that's present with you at all times. 
and you don't always notice it. But when you do notice it, you know, it's a bit like that saying, what has been seen cannot be unseen. Once you start realising those sorts of things, that's when you start realising, actually, maybe I'm not that happy after all. And maybe there are things that I need changing. And one of the issues with that is that when you then go to that person with these concerns, a normal, in inverted commas again, because what is normal, but you know, someone who's healthy and loves you and genuinely wants you to be well, will listen to you and the things that you have to say, the concerns you have, and will be interested in trying to meet your needs. If they can't, they can't, that's fair enough, and you may decide to end it, but they will be interested in what your needs are. Most of the time, what ended up happening was I would go to him with what I thought were my needs or something that I wanted to talk about, and actually, he would make me feel as if I was going a bit mad and I hadn't really got it right, and that the things I was saying to him were my fault as opposed to things that he could change, because he was never going to change, and obviously, I didn't realise that, but that's basically what happened, and then... Because that kept happening over and over again, it's, it's like I said, that there wasn't necessarily one catalyst. It was a couple of different things that I then started realising that I wasn't that happy. But even not being happy, I still remained in the relationship for another year. And how did you feel once you'd spoken to him and he hadn't necessarily responded in the way that you would expect someone to? How did you feel at that point? What were the thoughts that you were having? Well, it's interesting because to be honest, at the time, What I've just described to you about the needs thing isn't necessarily something that I would have been able to describe to you back then because I don't think I would have been as used to that. So now I totally get that and I wouldn't accept anything less because Mm. I know I'm worth that. But at the time, narcissists are very clever and very manipulative and I just ended up coming out of each conversation feeling like I'd got something wrong and that he'd had to correct me on it. And that just happened time and time and time again. So even when you're relatively strong in, say, other parts of your life, whether it be work or with your family or with your friends and you're viewed as as a relatively strong person, actually you end up becoming quite weak in a way. You know, that doesn't necessarily have to be like a self-criticism, but it's certainly something that you just don't realise the effect that time and time again, whenever you go to a person with the things that you want to discuss and they basically get negated, then when you try and talk around them, say, no, okay, but what I'm trying to say is this or what I want you to understand is this. You come away feeling like you're a really bad communicator, you're blaming them for everything, and that you're the one in the wrong. And that just kept happening over and over again. And it wasn't, it took a really long time for me to get my head around that and to understand Mm. kind of what was going on. And in fact, really, when I think about it, I didn't fully understand what was happening until well after the relationship had ended. Mm. You've talked about the triangulization, you've talked about manipulation and the demeaning and the weakening of the tactics they use when you try to approach them. Is there any other mind games that you'd be willing to talk about at this time? I think the effect of those things is quite profound and it has more of a negative effect on a person than you'd realise. So actually those by themselves are pretty destructive actually. I would probably say that the other thing that would happen, and this is the thing, it's very difficult because if you were to go and research narcissism, Mm. there's so much information out there and there's a huge amount of different types of narcissists. Now, obviously, I'm not going to start getting into it because we'd be here for hours. If someone out there feels like this might be happening to them, it's really important to go out and do your own research and also look for some experts. Let's say there's two particular kinds, for example, one's covert and one's overt. So an overt narcissist is going to be someone who is generally dismissive of other people's feelings and does it in an overt way. You know, they're not shy about the fact that they're not interested in how other people feel, for example. 
a covert narcissist are much more clever because you don't realise what you're getting into. They don't come across as arrogant, rude, disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. They come across as somebody who is caring and kind and compassionate. And that's who you think that person is, even though they're actually the complete opposite in reality. So different types of narcissists will probably play very different games depending on what type of narcissist they are. Mine was somebody who would use sex as a weapon. So he wouldn't directly shame me for wanting sex. He would make himself out to be a victim of previous partners who had put pressure on him to have sex. So of course, I then internalized those guilty feelings of making sure I never, never pressured him. And so we only ever had sex when he wanted. And then when we did, it was very, very, very short and very unfulfilling for me. So I literally never, ever got what I needed from it. But what he would do is create a need for it. It was a very clever game that he played in that way. And they can do all sorts of things like that. I mean, that's just one small example. Yeah. You've talked about a lot of this you didn't realise at the time what was going on and it wasn't until you look back after leaving the relationship that you sort of understood what was going on. What now do you see as some of the red flags that you didn't realise at the time but actually were warning signs? Well, I mean, when I look back now, certainly the first six months were full of red flags. So, for example, you know, what the experts call love bombing, that manifests with constant messages to you. I mean, I do mean constant. And at first, you're flattered. You're like, oh, he wants to know how I'm doing all the time. And wow, he really must love me or he must, he must really like me so quickly. And your ego's rubbed up, basically. You know, you're totally flattered. You think this person's really interested in what you don't realize is what they're doing is basically, it's almost like a form of control so that they know where you are at all times and they know what you're doing at all times. So it doesn't come across that way, but that is what they're doing. So it's constant messaging and they listen to you to the point where they're able to then later on use the things that you've told them against you. So let's say, for example, I would be talking to him about my ex and some issues that we might have had. So he'll absorb all of that, hear it all, and then later on he would then get quite angry when things didn't exactly go my way. And I did remember thinking a couple of times, oh, I don't know why he's getting so angry about this thing, because it's not actually going to directly affect him in any way, shape or form. But that's the kind of thing that would happen. And I've said this before, when you go back and think about a lot of the things that happen, you do sometimes think, I'm making this up, am I going a bit mad? But they're very clever people. So it's quite subtle, some of the things. So like I said, the constant texting, where are you, what are you doing? And you don't realise that it's obsessive and controlling appearing to you as almost like a saviour, not quite a saviour, but almost as a saviour because they, especially if you have just come out of a relationship as well, I think they do seem to tend to get you when you're kind of down and weak. So they get you at a point when you are somewhat vulnerable already. And because I had, you know, not that long come out of a long-term relationship and I'd been looking at all the things that I thought weren't right and needed to be changed and things I wanted for the future. Like I said, he came to me as someone but when I look back, it's like, well, he, he wasn't immediately necessarily that person. It was just as things progressed, I felt like he was more and more of that person. Making a big deal out of nothing. I mean, I remember a time when I'd sent him a selfie, a very innocent one, and a couple of them, I think. And out of nowhere, he started being a bit weird and moody. This must have been about three or four months in. And I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? Well, you took those for somebody else. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why on earth would I send you photos that I'd taken for someone else? I'm only dating you. But what it does is it throws you into this feeling of insecurity, confusion. And I think it was the start of him being able to make me feel like I was in the wrong all the time, because that's one of the things that they do really well, is they make you feel like you're in the wrong all the time. 
I'd say those were some of the main ones that I would say to anybody to look out for, that if someone's paying you an inordinate amount of attention and there's a part of you somewhere that feels that maybe it's a bit too much, listen to that part that's telling you that because it's probably right. And because they get you to doubt yourself so much, you end up not trusting your own instincts. And actually your instincts, nine times out of 10, normally going to probably be right. And if there's a feeling that something's wrong, I would just say, please listen to it because there's probably something in it. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. I think many people who haven't been in an abusive relationship wonder why people don't just leave. Can you offer any insight into why it's not as easy as that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a really complicated subject. I would say that the biggest thing for most people, and again, I'm speaking from experience, but I've spoken to a lot of other people about this, is that ultimately we stay with people who we think we deserve. So ultimately, it's about having really low self-esteem and not realizing that you're worth more than the treatment that's being dished out to you. Now, I was very lucky. I never had any physical violence, but I know that he was capable of it from having since spoken to his ex. So I don't know how far down the path I would have gone had I stayed. But I think for a lot of people, they just don't realize that they're worth better. The abuser is often telling them that they're not worth anything themselves or that this is what they deserve. So not only have maybe their previous traumatic experiences built that into their system, but the abuser is also confirming that for them. So their internal belief system is that they don't deserve anything better. And that would probably go for any relationship where there's some sort of domestic abuse, whether it's physical violence, sexual violence, emotional abuse, coercion, you know, some of the stuff that's been brought into law recently. Ultimately, it's about self-esteem. When it comes to narcissistic behavior and the way that they pin you down, like I said before, you know, I genuinely thought this person was exactly right for me because when it was good, my God, it was good. I mean, you know, I can look back now and go, well, no wonder I thought he was so amazing because there were times that he genuinely was, you know, it was not all awful by any stretch of the imagination. There were some really amazing times, even within the two years, even after the six month period, you know, I felt really happy. But that was also at the same time whilst ignoring some of those little niggles and, as my friend had described it, that low-level misery that I was experiencing that I just didn't want to admit to. So I think there's a whole load of reasons why. Like I said, one of the biggest issues is the self-esteem thing. It's what you think you deserve. You think that person's a good person, so you want to help them. There's so many reasons why you can't just up and leave. The reason I left was because... Well, I mean, I'd finished it earlier on, but we kept on coming back to each other. Or I should say, he kept coming back to me. Now, your ego tells you, oh, they can't leave you alone. They must really love you. So even though they keep saying they're not sure, they obviously are sure. And oh my God, you know, they love me. What happened eventually was that the person I thought was his ex, who wasn't his ex, he was still seeing us both at the same time. She ended up kind of realizing that something was going on and that she couldn't trust him anymore because of some of the stuff he was saying. And she ended up contacting me through social media. She then sent me proof of them having a relationship. And at that point, I was done because it's very clear cut for me. If I know someone's cheated on me, we're done. You don't get a second chance. 
that's just how I am. And I've always been that way. But as soon as I got it confirmed that he was actually doing this, I was done. All the other games that he'd been playing came out in the days and weeks following that when him and me and his other ex had got together and really realized what had been going on. But sometimes some people, be they male or female, will put up with cheating. They will. And again, that's a self-esteem issue as far as I'm concerned. Now, that sounds very black and white and there's loads of grey and there's loads of nuance all involved in that. So these are never really simple answers, but it's so complicated. It's a real victim blaming thing to say, why didn't you just leave? You could walk out any time. You might not be able to. You know, someone could be financially abusing you, which means that you're tied to them. They might owe you loads of money. My narcissist certainly did that with his ex. He took loads of money from her. When she's told me about it since, I'm like, wow, he never did that to me. So that was a really weird thing for me to hear about because he never did that. It was all just emotional manipulation in games. He was also violent with her. Not all the time, not constant, but it was there. And she was a little bit afraid of him. So again, you know, for me, that was a revelation because he was the last person I ever thought would raise a hand to a woman, certainly. So for me, it became clear cut when I knew the cheating was happening, but it's just not that simple. And those of us that have been in abusive relationships are victims of that abuse. Now, we may then decide to call ourselves survivors later on or some other term. That's absolutely fine. It's down to the individual. But there's always a reason why someone doesn't feel they can leave, you know. So I think it's really important that people out there understand that it's really, really complicated and that it's really down to the individual circumstances to why someone feels ready or not to leave. I mean, I am aware of friends of friends who have been in abusive relationships for years and they just don't think they can for whatever reason. And it can take sometimes one thing or a host of things for someone to then make the decision to finally get out. And what impact do you think this relationship has had on you? Long term, I'm choosing to take it as a positive in the sense that I have chosen to look at the reasons why I could have had someone like that in my life. So by doing that, what I've been able to do is uncover other issues that I've had in the past that honestly, I had no idea were even issues. I didn't even know they were there. And I think a lot of it was about being in denial from mostly old childhood trauma. Once I got out of the relationship and how I've been dealing with it since, I mean, I absolutely have had therapy. I'd recommend that for everybody, even if you don't think you've had a traumatic experience, because it's good to talk, right? But it really showed me the areas of my life that I had previously neglected, the old traumas that were still manifesting into patterns, patterns of behavior that I wasn't necessarily aware of. And that's how I've chosen to deal with it. So now the guy himself, the narcissist himself, I hardly ever think about him because he highlighted the areas that I needed to deal with. And I've spent the last couple of years working on those areas so that I would be able to, in the future, spot someone like that, someone either a full-on narcissist or someone who has traits, perhaps, like strong traits. We've all got little traits, you know. We can all be vain. We can all be superficial. Like, that's not the point. It's those really strong traits and the way that people want to play games and manipulate you. So, For me, it's about strengthening myself. And really, the most important thing is boundaries. It's knowing what your boundaries are. Who am I? What will I accept in my life? And what are the things that I definitely won't accept in my life? So, for example, if I was to meet somebody now who we were dating and a couple of months down the line, they started to seem to make me doubt myself, that would be a massive red flag for me now. So, for me, the healing from that relationship, you know, like I said, highlighting all the other stuff in my life that I hadn't really realized was so much of a problem. And also looking out for how I can move forward and how I can live my life more positively so that that kind of thing doesn't happen to me again. Mm. And it's spotting all those things much, much earlier. You know, ask a different person, they may have a different answer for you, but that's how I've chosen to do it. Yeah. 
I mean, you mentioned counselling. Is there anything else that's worked for you personally moving forward from this relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I will tell anybody and anyone that has experienced any kind of narcissistic abuse is go and look up a woman called Melanie Tonya Evans. All you've got to do is Google her name and loads of stuff will come up. She is, I would say, one of the foremost authorities on narcissistic abuse in the world, as far as I'm concerned. She does free courses to help you start getting yourself back on track. There are other things that you can pay for that she does, but she does an amazing amount of free stuff, which is there online, ready for you to do. And what I will say is every human is on a different part of their journey, but by accessing somebody like her and then the type of therapy that she recommends, what I would say is that anybody who's experienced narcissistic abuse has the potential to get better from it. Because her whole practice is around going inside and healing yourself from within. So rather than blaming external sources for things that have happened to you, it's almost like taking really extreme responsibility for yourself and your actions. It doesn't by any stretch negate anything you've been through. It doesn't mean that what you've been through wasn't awful or horrific or traumatic because all of those things are true. But it's very much about healing from the inside out so that as you get stronger as a person inside and you heal all those old wounds that are literally physically stored inside your body, that's a scientific fact that's been proven years ago. Her work helps you deal with all of the symptoms of the abuse and it can really vary for lots and lots of people. Some people have all sorts of real bad physical health problems because of the abuse that they've been through. So a lot of her stuff is around helping heal from those things as well. But first step, go to her, then start understanding where you think your trauma might have come from. And then you might want to find, you know, your own therapist you do go and see. But I would say that anyone who's looking at how our traumatic experiences from, say, childhood have been stored in our body and then have become a part of us, it's called somatic therapy, I think, body somatic therapy. But the word somatic, if anyone even Googles that, that's a really helpful tool as well. So yeah, she's your first stop. (laughs) From there, it's up to you about where you want to take it. But she can give you the potential to heal and heal, really heal and not have that type of abuse in your life again. And what we'll do is we'll put a link to her website and to the sort of somatic healing websites as well, so people can have a look at that for themselves. Yeah, great. I just want to ask one last question before we go, which is what's the one thing that you have learned through this experience? Oh God, that I wasn't boundaried enough. I just didn't know how to, you know, it's like your white picket fence outside your house. If you don't have any fences, anyone can come in. But you need a fence and a gate that is always going to be there so that as a bare minimum, you would know who you're going to let in and who you're not. And those boundaries weren't there in relationship. So that's the biggest thing I've learned. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Your experience and wisdom, I think, is going to touch a lot of people and I think hopefully help a lot of people and make people aware of of the reality because this is not necessarily something that's in the mainstream. So I think this has been a valuable conversation. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Well, I really hope that you found that conversation helpful, enlightening, useful. If it has triggered you, then please, 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 I will put some information in the show notes of places you can go to get support. I'd love to hear from you. I know this is a sensitive subject, but as always, if you would like to contact me, then at the RE Podcast One on Twitter, Louisa Jane Smith at the RePodcast.co.uk to email me or just send me a message through the website www.therepodcast.co.uk. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this has been the RE Podcast.